Kids, you're dismissed now. Go to your classes. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was strong. All right. I like it. Got some energy. Uh, my name is Mike Evanson, and it's my pleasure to bring you the word this morning. Uh, I've been attending Seven Oaks Church for about four years now with my wife and, and now two kids. And we really appreciate it here. So it's a, it's a double privilege for me to be up here to do what I'm passionate about and to be able to serve you all. Um, <clears throat> I guess I should probably say something else about me. And I guess one of the ways that you learn something about somebody is what they're into. So their hobbies or whatever. A person could be into, I don't know, I'm really into Thai food. Or a person may have a hobby. And that'd be some way you find out about them. Uh, maybe a person is into diet or exercise. They're into it. They have a particular exercise program they're really passionate about, or a particular diet, um, paleo or keto or great grapefruit diet, if we go back a few more decades. Um, <clears throat> yeah, some people remember the grapefruit diet, right? Yeah. Um, but, whatever, but the thing about some of these things you get into is you get into them, but they kind of get into you a little bit. Um, you get into a diet, but the diet dictates a certain amount to you, what you can eat, when you can eat, similarly with an exercise program. Um, you get into it, but it's, it, you know, it, shapes, it shapes your schedule a little bit because you need to work out at certain times. Um, you get into a hobby, and it starts with something that you're getting into. And before you know it, you have an entire room of your house filled with macrame supplies. <laughs> right? These things kind of get into you a little bit. So one of the things that I'm into, that I've got into recently, is, um, is sourdough bread baking. That's something I've gotten kind of into. I'm quite enjoying it. Kind of ruined store-bought bread for me a little bit. Um, but the thing about sourdough bread baking is that it can kind of take over your life just a little bit. Um, so, I mean, so you have your sourdough starter, which is this mixture of water and flour that you keep on your counter, and in it grows the bacteria and the yeast that you need to make your bread rise. Um, but it's, 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 a, it's, basically, it's kind of a living thing. So that's basically a pet. <laughs> it is, because you need, you need to feed it, you need to give it water. Is it too hot? Is it too cold? It's basically another member of your family. <laughs> right? So you get into it, but it kind of gets into you a little bit, starts to shape your life a little bit, right? And there's that, but also the whole process of making a sourdough loaf of bread can take a couple of days, and there's various steps along the way at certain times. So you start out making this loaf of bread, but then you realize, oh, like, where am I going to be two days from now at 9 a.m.? Because that's when this is going to be ready to bake, right? So it gets into you a little bit. And of course, these things that I mentioned, they're mostly harmless, right? I mean, sourdough bread baking can be a great thing. In fact, diet, diet and exercise can be a great thing. It can be a very life-giving, important thing for our life. Um, but some things that we can get into can quickly be not so good, right? I mean, substance use can too easily become substance abuse. Uh, what starts as a TV show you really like watching turns into hours-long binge-watching sessions. A uh, person, yeah, there's just, there's just so many things that we can get into. I think sometimes we feel like we need to be in so many things uh, that it can, we can lose perspective very easily. I feel like, okay, like, I need to get into interior decorating so my house looks just so, or I need to get into diet and exercise so that I look just so, and I need to get into watching sports so that I can have conversation with the people in the break room, or I need to get into this or that. And before you know it, there can be a lot of things you feel like you need to get into, and it can be easy to sort of lose perspective on what things we should be in, shouldn't be in, how much time should go to each one. Well, we're going to continue our series today in the book of Colossians. I'll be reading from Colossians 1, verse 13 to 23, so you can turn there now, and it will be up on the screen. Uh, this text, the Colossians, it was a letter written by Paul, an early church leader, to the church in Colossae, and Colossians are from Colossae, that's 
where the name comes from. And they were getting into some things. And they weren't all good. And so Paul writes to them to try and help them sort out, yeah, what should we be into? What shouldn't we be into? How should we think about this? And that's kind of what this letter is at least in part about. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read this text. So let's pray. Oh, thank you, Lord, for this group of people here. Thank you for, thank you for that they come expecting, expecting something. Maybe they don't always know what, uh, but they come expecting to hear from you, to sense you. And so I thank you that I have the privilege of being a part of that. And so I ask that you would be present here, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to all of us. And uh, yeah, add to your word as I preach it. Amen. So, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 13. He, that is God, has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is now the Son, Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things in heaven and earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. cross. And you who were once were estranged and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his fleshly body through death, so as to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him, provided that you continue steadfast, you continue securely established and steadfast in the faith, without shifting from the hope promised by the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. I, Paul, became a servant of this gospel. To catch our breath a little bit, um, I feel like I just had a five-course meal. It's it's rich. There's a lot going on here in this text, and we're going to start working through it, unpack it, and we're going to at points really just scratch the surface. Um, <clears throat> the bulk of this text here, the sort of verse 15 and onward, um, that's about Christ. Um, we'll certainly be will be the center of our text, but that part is sort of bookended. It's surrounded actually with a little story not about Christ, but about the Colossians and about all of us who are of faith, right? We were once in darkness, but now in Christ. That's verse 13, right? He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, right? Once in darkness, now in Christ. And verse 21 offers us a little bit of a little, almost description of what that was like to be in darkness, right? You were once estranged and hostile in mind, uh, doing evil deeds. In darkness, is not a place you want to be. Um, you don't want to be under the power of darkness. It's one thing to be dictated to by a sourdough schedule, but it's a whole other thing to be under the power of darkness. That's not where you want to be. Fortunately, that's not where we are anymore. He has rescued us from the power of darkness. We were in darkness, but now we're in Christ. We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This sort of leaves a bit of a question, I think. I think it's a question that I wrestle with. I think it's a question that the Colossians were wrestling with. I think it's a, a question that we all wrestle with most days, even if we're not aware of it. And that is simply, now what? I was in darkness. Now I'm in Christ. God has done that. He rescued me. But now what? That's what I think we're all wrestling with in some way. 
I think that's what the Colossians are wrestling with. And I think that's what Paul writes this letter to, to help them sort out, right? What about the rest of life? What about all these things we can be into? And although it might seem a strange way to go about doing it, I think this whole section here about Christ and all the things about him are actually the foundation from which we start to answer that question. And I think that's why Paul goes here. So let's work through it a little bit and unpack it. We were once in darkness, but now in Christ. Now you read this text. I gotta say, being in Christ, being sort of in the sphere in which Christ reigns, right? We're in his kingdom. It's a happening place to be. I mean, forget your best concert, festival, pop-up toga yoga session that you've ever been to. It's nothing like being in Christ. There's nowhere like it because there's no one like him. So Paul goes on to talk about Christ, this section here. Often thought, thought by many scholars because of its poetic nature that maybe this is a hymn, that maybe Paul is quoting a song they know as if I were to stand up here and quote a song we just sung. So maybe that's part of the reason for the language being the way it is. Whatever it is, this is where he goes to speak about who Christ is. He, that's we're back to Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The invisible God made visible, manifest in Christ. Told you, in Christ is where it's all happening. He is the firstborn from the dead. This language of firstborn might trip us up a little bit. Um, we should probably think of firstborn not as first created, but as a position, right? Uh, in many traditional families, and perhaps in some today, um, the firstborn son has a position of authority and prominence in the family, and so that's what's going on here, right? He's the firstborn of creation. Christ is prominent. He is over all creation. And that idea continues in verse 16. For in him, that's in Christ, because in Christ is where it's all happening, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Um, he goes on to this interesting language of thrones and dominions and rulers and powers. Um, it can be a little bit confusing because he, like, he's talking about chairs. Um, no, so it's often thought that this language of thrones and dominions and rulers and powers is a reference by Paul to spiritual beings, so angels or spirits. Um, in a number of texts that were written around the same time as Colossians, authors use that exact same language to talk about angels. And so many people think for that reason, that's what Paul is doing here when he talks about thrones and dominions. And that would certainly make sense because he goes on, because he talks about things visible and invisible, right? So these thrones and dominions, these are the invisible things, the other beings that inhabit the universe. Paul doesn't dwell here, but the point is, Christ made them, so he's above them. All authorities, he is above them. <clears throat> and <clears throat> in a sort of amazing, almost thing, amazing thing to think about, Christ, he created all the things. They're all made through him. He's God's agent of creation. Uh, when you read the scriptures, the ability to create is one of the sort of foundational things that divides God from everything else. Right? There is God who creates, and there is everything else. And that in the scriptures all throughout, you can read it, that's a pretty sort of hard defining line. And yet in this text, Christ has moved to the creating side of that line. Christ is God's agent of creation of all things. And not only does he create all things, we read that all things are for him. Everything has its purpose in some way that Paul chooses not to elaborate on here. It's all for him. Every grain of sand on the shore, every blade of grass, every star in the universe in some way exists for Christ. And it's all created in him. In Christ, there's nowhere like it. Because there's no one like him. 
verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is Christ the creator of all things, and all things created for him, but in some sense, Christ holds it all together in his hand, as though the cosmos would descend into chaos if Christ weren't at work holding it together, all of it being held together in him. In Christ, it's the happening place to be, where it's all happening. Uh, we're told that we, are, that we are in Christ, and so verse 18 begins to offer us a bit of a, a word picture for how we might think about what that means. Right? So Christ is the head, and the church is the body. So just as the head and the body are intimately connected, so we as a church are intimately connected in Christ. We're in Christ. Yet at the same time, the head and the body are still distinct and not confused. And so we are certainly not confused with Christ. He remains the one above all, and we remain not above all. Yet we are still intimately connected in a, quite frankly, mysterious way. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. <clears throat> the firstborn from the dead. This, this language being firstborn from the dead. Certainly a, a reference to Jesus' resurrection, but it's more than just that, I think. Um, if you read, the, if you go to the end of the Bible, if you go to Revelation, and at various other places in scriptures, when you read about how um, things sort of end, how, how God comes back to redeem everything, an important event in that, in that act of redemption, in God's act of putting the cosmos to right, is the resurrection, is the resurrection of all people. So for Christ to be firstborn from the dead is in some sense that God's act of putting things to right, God's act of new creation, when God will remake things and make things right, has already begun in Christ. We read in verse 15 that he is the firstborn of creation, and by being firstborn from the dead, in some sense, Christ is the firstborn of the new creation that, we, that the Bible talks about. <clears throat> and in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verse 19, and through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Not only are all things in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ when Christ became human. And then through that now, God was pleased to reconcile all things to him. Christ is the one who creates it all, and he's the one through whom God's going to put it all to right. And it's all happening in Christ. There's nowhere like it. It's all happening there. There's nowhere like it because there's no one like him. Now that's, that all sounds pretty good. I mean, sounds pretty good, I think. Um, but there's a bit of a challenge now, isn't there? And it's a challenge I alluded to earlier, the challenge that I have, that you have, that the Colossians had. We have this now, but now what? Right? Okay, that, that's, that could be a bunch of theological information to sort of categorize some of the, somewhere in the brain in the filing cabinet and just put it away. Right? It could be just that. We're left with this sort of now what? Right? Now what? <clears throat> I think that's our challenge. So for the Colossians, the world of the, the, this was written to the world of Colossians, when it came to matters of religion, it was somewhat different from ours. So in our world, religion is a fairly neat and tidy category. A person is either a Christian, maybe they're a Muslim, maybe they're a Buddhist, whatever. You're generally in one or the other, for the most part. And they each have their own sort of fairly tidy rules and beliefs and practices that all sort of make it a pretty contained box. But that was not the world in which the Colossians lived. Uh, the world in which the Colossians lived was quite different as regards matters of religion and spirituality. Um, it was characterized by fancy word warning, syncretism, 
And syncretism just means that they had beliefs in many different gods, many different spirits, and they all sort of held them alongside each other, worshiping them um, all together. So in that world, <clears throat> it was necessary that you worship many different gods. Many of each of the different gods or spirits had dominion over a certain area of life. So if you were someone who was going to travel by sea, you would go and maybe worship a sea god in the hope that they would give you protection as you traveled. And if you needed your crops to be fertile, you might offer a sacrifice to a fertility god in the hopes that that would then make your crops fertile. And so there was all these different things you had to be into in order to succeed in life. It wasn't just your ability. You also had to be into all these other things. Success in life for the Colossians simply required that. So you can imagine the challenge that the Colossians had coming to this text now, and Christ is above everything, above all the gods and the spirits and whatever else is out there. Maybe have a challenging thing for them to get their head around. It's not, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that they might be asking, in Christ, is it safe? I mean, is it safe to go all in on Christ? What about all these other things? All these other things in life that I could be into. I think that's basic, I think that we have the same challenge. I know I do. I don't think our challenge is so much there might be other gods out there and so I need to worship them too. I don't think that's our challenge as modern people so much. But I think we still have the challenge of what about all the other things in life? And is it really safe to go all in on Christ? Maybe I should be hedging my bets. See, it's one thing to trust Christ with future salvation, right? I trust that one day Christ is going to save me. That's one thing. It's a whole other thing to trust Christ with, you, with the everyday. Because I, like the Colossians, I got a lot of things I need, and so, so do you. Right? I, need to, I need a job, or I need to make it to the next paycheck, or I need to make it to the next pension check. I need my health. I need to be healed. I need the school bully to stop picking on my kid. Right? I got a lot of things I need. And there's a lot of things in this life and our world that promise to deliver. There's a lot of things you can be into. Politician may promise to deliver jobs. Right? A, new, a diet or an exercise program might promise to deliver health. The latest business philosophy might promise to turn your business around. There's a lot of things you can be into. A lot of things are promised to deliver. So is it really safe to go all in on Christ? <clears throat> I think for most of us, the challenge is not questioning Christ's power. I think as a, as a box to tick, I think that's easy for many of us if we're Christians. A text like this might boggle our minds, but I think it's fairly easy, easy for us just to say, yeah, Christ is above all things. Yeah. No, I think our challenge is trusting Christ's goodness. Because we know lots of, you know, we know lots of powerful people. There are lots of powerful people in the world. Lots who have power. Who have the power to give us a lot of the things we need. But they don't always look out for us. There have been lots of powerful kings in history. They haven't always looked out for us, but not so with this king. This king is different. But the trust is still an issue, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to believe, to, to read this text and see Christ is all powerful over all things, but then you look around the world and go, okay, but what about war? What about my family member who's suffering, what about this? Right? If Christ is, is, is in control of all these things, then why isn't that happening? <clears throat> but this king, this king is different. He made peace by shedding his own blood. See, lots of kings have come proclaiming peace. 
Proclaiming peace is pretty buck standard for politicians and rulers. Almost every emperor and king and ruler and president and prime minister that have ever lived has said, yeah, we'll make peace. And they usually have a plan, and often it involves shedding blood, just not their own. But this one, he shed his own blood. That changes everything. Because then, even in the suffering, even in the hardship in the world, and there's lots of it, I have something to grasp onto. I have a cross that proclaims, Christ is for me. Even when it doesn't seem like it, the one who had all the power and all the authority, who holds it all together, who understands how it all works, who understands everything, in whom God fully dwelled, God himself, shed his own blood to make peace and to reconcile those who were hostile and estranged to him. If that's who this Christ is, if that's the Christ that I am now in, then I got something I can grasp onto, even when things are oh so hard. So in Christ, is it safe? Christian life isn't always safe. I don't know if safe is the word I would use. I can say there's nowhere like it because there's no one like him. So now what? I mean, I said that was kind of the challenge, right? Now what? Now what about the rest of life? Right? We have all these other things we can be into. So since Christ is ultimate and supreme, therefore I reject all human authority because Christ has it all. I don't go to doctors and stop taking my medicine because Christ has power to heal it all. I think those are the kinds of questions that the Colossians are we're trying to answer. And I think the questions that face us, what do we do with the rest of this stuff? <clears throat> and I think the point here is not Christ is above all, therefore nothing else matters, but actually that since Christ is above all, since he created it all, since it's all, it's all for him, and he holds it all together in his hand, and he has power over it all, and since he shed his own blood for us, even when we were hostile to him, he has the power, and he can be trusted to be good. <clears throat> and since it's above all creation, then it's not that everything becomes insignificant, it's that everything takes on a new significance. Because the one who created it all and holds it all together <clears throat> is for us. Because in Christ, everything looks different. See, being in Christ isn't just a place in which we exist, it's a place that we look out from. And it changes our perspective on all things. And so we live differently. We can see differently. Even in the midst of challenging and times and hardship. And we become changed people. We know that we were once in darkness and now in Christ. And so we are no longer stuck in our past because we are in Christ. And so we look back and see it differently. And see that even though we were hostile, that's not who we are anymore. And all of our past hurts and habits and hang-ups and addictions don't get the final word anymore because we're in Christ and everything looks different. Our business, our attitude to business and work and money changes because we know that it's all, it's all Christ's. He's in it all. And so we act differently because we see things differently. We don't put profits before people because we know that that's that contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ, the one who is above it all and who understands how it all works and is for us. And so we approach business and work differently. 
we approach all things in life differently. There's all kinds of things that the, in the text of Colossians that are specifics that I'll leave for those in the coming weeks who preach them. Um, but we, we approach all day differently. We approach retirement and aging differently because we know that Christ is above all and owns it all and knows how it all works. We know we're in his kingdom and he is the king. And so we approach these things differently. And retirement becomes not a time for self-indulgence, for walking on the, for walks on the beach, as the bank commercials would, have, would show you. But it becomes a time for serving Christ. Because we know it's all his. And we know what Christ thinks about how we should live. And we know that I earned this money, therefore it's mine and I get to do with it what I want. It doesn't fly in this kingdom. If, if Christ is above it all and owns it all, then, he, then he's above our RRSPs too. We can trust that Christ, because he's for us, wants good for us. But we also need to know it's above. He's above all and it's all his. We'll get the worship team to, to come up here as I wrap up. The point is this. We were in darkness. But now we are in Christ. And there is nowhere like it. The place where the king who has all the power and all the authority who holds the very cosmos together, the one for whom it all exists, for whom it has all of its ultimate purpose in him, where that one sheds his own blood to make peace with those who are hostile and estranged to him. That's where we are now. So even though it doesn't seem safe all the time, we can approach life with a certain amount of optimism, a certain amount of hope, and approach it differently. Because now that we're in Christ, everything looks different. So let us worship now this wonderful Christ and go out from here and live differently. Amen.